Welcome to another edition of Sibling Stories, where we shed light on the personal experiences of siblings of loved ones with mental illness. I'm your host, Alana Esderman. When I spoke with my next interviewee, Pran, during the prep call, he was struggling with feelings of overwhelm. His brother had been diagnosed with bipolar and schizophrenia, and he found himself constantly trying to find solutions for both his brother and his parents. Pran had grown up in a tight-knit family and was close with his brother. His parents had created their thriving life from scratch after fleeing war-torn Sri Lanka decades ago. For Pran, they were the model of unlimited strength and resilience. He strived to emulate that bounce-back mentality in his own life, which meant that Pran was more than willing to step in to help his brother in any way that he could when he began showing symptoms, despite at the same time navigating an aggressive medical school schedule. He'd find time wherever he could to call and visit his parents and his brother, trying to gain as many perspectives on his brother's condition as possible so he could offer the most effective support as possible. All of this never felt like it was enough, and he found himself ruminating over what else he could be doing for his brother and his parents, which bled into all areas of his life. This took him out of the present moment and prevented him from feeling joy and connection. During the prep call, I offered a mantra to him to help him redirect his mind when the same pattern of ruminating thoughts would come up. The mantra was, I am enough. See, many people will use a mantra, yet never truly embody it. I was amazed to find that just a few short weeks later, Pran was not only able to repeat the mantra when needed, but he was also able to personify the mantra by finding ways to prioritize self-care and enjoy the present moment, ultimately living the model of resilience and strength that his parents instilled in him and shifting the energy of his family to lean into hope for recovery. He is truly an inspiration and I am honored to share his journey with you. Here's Prant's story. So tell me more about your self-care that you've been doing. Like what's changed since three weeks ago? Yeah, I think definitely one of the things uh, we talked about was specifically the mantra kind of technique you mentioned. Okay, I'm enough. So kind of reminding myself of that at different points. Some of the things I've been doing are just kind of like making sure, you know, the classic things like making sure I'm eating right and like exercising, taking a walk, taking breaks, whatever, and seeing my friends again. It's been beforehand, it was kind of hard to socialize and whatnot. Now it's, you know, a little easier. It's like things are still on my mind, but they're not weighing on my mind, you know, if that makes sense. So that's amazing. So I know you were kind of in this space of of beforehand, you know, feeling like maybe with everything that was going on that you need to check in more often, you know, maybe you needed to actually think about more ways in which that you could like show up for your family. So are you saying that since like probably about three weeks ago that something changed within that? Like, are you starting to notice more when you start to think about all of those different ways that you need to show up for them? Yeah. So like, I think before, like three weeks ago, like I was spending a lot of my, basically all of my summer back at home, anything I could do, you know, whether it be just comfort my parents or just kind of be there, or I could kind of talk to my brother when he's at home or even help him with like actual like tasks he's trying to do. Like if he's trying to look for a job or thinking about a job or trying to think about like some coding thing that he's into. And I think for the past three weeks, I kind of went back to where I'm at and decided to refocus a little bit on the things I've been ignoring. So, you know, schoolwork, my friends and whatever else I kind of care about (laughs) exercising and, you know, eating right, whatever, you know, all those things. In you getting back to you, right. And being able to show up more for yourself, has that in any way changed what's going on at home with your brother? Yeah. So, you know, I, I haven't checked back in, but I think when I left carnivore, when I made that shift, things were kind of in a good spot anyhow. So I haven't been able to say like accurately whether or not like it has, but I do think it will. Like, I think, you know, I'm going to be a little more methodical and deliberate when I engage with home moving forward. But I think when I do that, I'll just be able to be more effective in whatever role I play. And I think 
me not losing sight of school and whatnot, like will also help my parents to feel like more relaxed. I do think that the next few times that I kind of like re-engage, everything will be a lot better for me and whoever's at home. Not only because of like all the work my family and I has put in over the past year, but also because I'm at the point where it's like, okay, I got to make sure I'm okay too. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know we talked about that kind of like a little bit in the prep calls. If you're in a space where, you know, you're showing up for yourself and you're becoming, you know, the best version of yourself, that shifts the energy of your family, you know? So can you expand a little bit more upon that piece of it? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I even went back last weekend, you know, just to kind of, because school started and I don't know when I'll be able to kind of go back again. Oh, Um, so you did go back. Okay. Yeah. I I went back one more time just to, it was, it was nice because I went back, not with the goal of improving the situation or assisting. I just was like, I'm going to go back and just like be son. I'm going to be like a family member. I'm going to talk to my parents and hang out with them for a little bit before I have to go back to school. I'm going to talk to my brother and hang out a bit. And, you know, we got dinner together and that was fun. So I think that was good, not only for me, but also for them just to kind of see me, you know, not in a state of like, well, what can I do? What next? Right. Right. That's amazing. I just love that you said all those words like that. It's (laughs) that right there. It starts to show you how you really can be set free from feeling as though there's a burden attached to it. And that when you walk into the house and you come in with that energy of of feeling unburdened, that all of a sudden everyone else feels as though they're not the burden. (laughs) Yeah, I, I feel like that definitely registered and I feel like everyone was a little calmer too. So that was good. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. So I feel like we definitely started backwards, which is fine because, you know, it's interesting to kind of look and see, you know, where you've gotten to, and then we can kind of like rewind all the way to the beginning and and see where it all started. What we could do first off is kind of just go back to the beginning, if you're okay with that. And, and, you know, kind of just broadly try to understand, you know, a little bit about, you know, your background, your family, you know, and then maybe a little bit more specifically how your parents have influenced the person that you've become today. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, my parents immigrated from Sri Lanka and I was actually born there, but I moved like, you know, I was like nine months old when I came here. So I'm basically like American, you know, like I know so much more about like America and whatnot than I do about Sri Lanka. But um, my brother was born here. So he and I are about two years apart. But yeah, you know, my parents came here and they had to kind of leave because of the civil war that was going on back at home. And that really was like traumatic for them and their families and whatnot. Right. And we have different family members scattered across the globe because of this. And it's not just like my family and I, it's all Sri Lankans that were like affected by this war. Right. And then like, you know, after that, I don't, I feel like it's, it's kind of like a almost stereotypical uh, immigrant story, which is like, you know, they worked really hard and my dad was working like many jobs and my mom was trying to take care of us and, you know, stress on education and whatnot. And like, I think for me to touch on the, um, like how they've inspired me, I think, whenever someone says like a oh, work hard, you achieve your dreams. Like I have an example of that, like right at home, you know, like I okay. can look and I see how far they've come just off of supporting each other. And thankfully they're also both like very resourceful and intelligent and kind. And they have so many great qualities that I was able to just learn a lot from them just because I was there next to them. And it wasn't until I was like gone that I really like registered. Wow. Okay. I was really lucky to have them as my parents, you know? Yeah. It's funny how like sometimes just it takes leaving the home to realize how much they've instilled in you, you know, when yeah, exactly. you're on your own. And so with that, describe your relationship with your brother growing up and then kind of just up until when he started to become symptomatic around when that had occurred as well. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I think we were just like typical brothers right up until like I entered high school. So again, he's got like a two year age difference, but you know, when I entered high school, it was like a huge workload increase for me. And you know, I was trying to get into a good college and, you know, prepare for like, I always want to go to medical school. So I'm here now. So, you know, I was like kind of trying to make this happen from an early age. I think when I went to high school, like my brother and I became a little distant, but it was never like, there was never intention. It was just like, okay, I was going to my classes, my schoolwork, like practices, whatever, you know, he, he'd be kind of there and like watching me do this as well. Right. Then he entered high school and it was kind of a similar thing. Like he got equally busy. And so I feel like it wasn't just him. Like, I feel like I was just really focused on school and like a lot of my other like life aspects kind of downgraded. And then, you know, I went off to college and, you know, it was good for me and it was great, but I would describe my relationship with my brother at that point as kind of like, he's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. And like, you know, I'm there if he needs me, when he needs me, but I wouldn't say we were like necessarily like always talking to each other, you know, like when I was at home, I'd ask him what's going on and whatnot. So yeah, then he goes to college eventually too. Then I kind of just like, Again, I my workload increases. I started a job that I go to school and whatnot, but I always kind of like just trusted him to 
be okay and figure things out just because I knew how my parents were and I knew how they were with me. And I knew I felt like he was going to be okay, you know? Right. Um, Growing up in a resilient family, you know, that that's escaped a war, you know, and and been able to do the hardest thing, which is, you know, actually like get a home in America and and all. Now you're all at the point where you're thriving, you know? Yeah. And, exactly. and that's how it feels. And, and there you are going down that road. I would say like, you know, even if my parents and my brother were having like typical parent, like child, like, you know, disagreements, like I always had trust that it was going to be okay. Like, you know, my brother would figure it out for himself and be he's a really smart guy, you know, like, and he continues to show that to me. That's kind of been my relationship with him is we grew up as like typical brothers, but then we kind of like went our own ways. But I was always like there for him if he ever needed someone to like talk to or like a resource or something like that. I remember when he was in college and like just thinking about like what classes to take or trying to get an internship, like he messaged me and we talked a little bit. So yeah, so maybe not like talking all the time, but I would definitely say we were like close, you know? Yeah, which is amazing because many siblings are the polar opposite of that. (laughs) A lot of siblings are, you know, at each other's throats. So, you know, you you had a little bit of the drifting because you're both focusing on your own things, but at its core, you know, you're, you're always there for him. Walk me through kind of what had happened leading up to him getting the diagnosis, him becoming symptomatic, and, you know, specifically how that felt for you. So, you know, I graduated college and then I started working, right? And then, so I was in my job. At that time, he should have been in college. So then at some point, you know, I heard back from my parents and him that like, oh, he's not in school anymore, right? So this was like very confusing. I mean, I wasn't like alarmed right away. I was more just like confused. I was like, okay, I'm... And, you know, the thing is, he's a software engineer. He codes and whatnot. And it's actually not, maybe this is changing now, but I feel like it's not uncommon for a software engineer to drop out of school and then get a job and just start working, right? Totally. My husband's an engineer. Totally got it. Like, yeah, right. And so, you know, yeah. Yeah. In fact, like my brother had like positions during the semester that he was working on. And, you know, he had taken like semesters off to work somewhere. So I felt like he was doing great. Like, I was like, oh, you're really like leaning into this and like it's going awesome for you. So, I think when he decided to drop out, it was like, okay, yeah, you'll figure it out. You know, you've got the skill set, you've got the work experience, you'll figure it out. Right. Maybe he's just like smarter than anyone and just going to go like start making money immediately. (laughs) Yeah. And for a time he was like, that's the thing is like, I didn't like just kind of blindly trust him. He was making moves there and kind of like getting settled. And I was like, okay, I was like really impressed. I was like, well, I don't know that I could do this, you know? But then he had a job for a while. I want to say like maybe a year plus, but then he just kind of left home. And, you know, I don't remember too much from what happened here because I feel like I was constantly trying to navigate because I wasn't at home. I feel like I was constantly trying to navigate like, oh, how much of like, or how much of the situation is kind of my parents being like, you know, just a little like worried parents. And how much of this is like, you know, for sure, maybe there's a little bit of a a question mark with what my brother's doing, but maybe he's just kind of in between like jobs and like kind of figuring it out and, you know, he'll be okay. Again, like I always trust he's a very smart guy. He knows what he's doing. You know, he has a skill set, like whatnot. I think I was always trying to parse out what was really happening, accounting for those things. Like the hearsay versus the truth versus what yeah. we really have to worry about versus the fact that your brother is like highly intelligent and probably yeah. knows what he's doing and always has known what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. Like I couldn't have said it better, like all those things. Right. And particularly like how much should I be worried? Right. Right. And, you know, I feel like I never want to be like a third parent to him, or I feel like perhaps maybe when I was younger, I was a little bit, but I wanted to give him like agency. You know, he's like at a good age where you can give someone agency and like figure it out. And like I said, everything he had done up until a certain point, I was like, yeah, he's totally capable, you know? And then I would say like, maybe I'm trying to think when I first got like kind of concerned and I would say maybe it was like, December, January of like 2019 going into 2020. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think at that point he, after like talking with him and at this point, my parents are really like kind of alarmed. And again, I'm thinking in my head, like, Oh, maybe they're just really alarmed that he left school. He doesn't currently have a job and whatnot. But again, in my head, I'm like, okay, got this skill set. He's had work experience, successful right. work experience. Maybe he's just trying to like figure something out right now. He's like pressing pause or something. Yeah. And I wanted to give him the room to do that. Like, you know, I feel like it's not uncommon for someone to graduate, even if someone did graduate college, take a little time and figure things out. Like, I feel like that's worthwhile. And around that time is when I started to be like, okay, seems like everyone's really concerned. Like, let me check in. So then I, I started like talking to him a little bit. 
then he, he sounded like he had some kind of a plan. So I just kind of laid off because I know like, I feel like worried parents are going to be worried parents, you know, um, they want the best for you, but yeah. So, you know, I laid off for a bit, but then I would say it was like summer 2020. So now, you know, a few months after that. So I show up at home for just a couple of weeks before I start school. So at this point I've like stopped working and then I'm kind of like taking a little bit of a break and starting school. And that's when, you know, he came home suddenly from wherever he was at and then he was paranoid at first. That was the first thing. Like the way this happened was like, he had mentioned that his apartment was broken into. So I thought that, okay, yeah. And there was like police called and whatnot. So I thought maybe, you know, your apartment's broken into while you're there. That's like a really scary thing to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and I think he was by himself during the pandemic too. So in my head, I'm just like, okay, he's like kind of stressed, let him stay at home for a few weeks, like kind of normalize and feel safe again, I guess. Right. Yeah, And not be alone, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I I hung out with him that week and I talked with him a lot and I don't think I would have done anything differently, even if I went back, because like, I would listen to him talk about like some of his paranoia and I would just listen in and I wouldn't invalidate anything. You know, I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, I feel like he's just really like scared and like kind of stressed right now. Nothing was like super obvious there. I was coming from the point of like, yeah, this is my brother. Like, I'm just, just trying to. That's amazing. I have to say, because I I just think, you know, the natural human reaction to paranoia is to invalidate and to say, oh, but don't you think that really it's this or, you know, where's the evidence and things like that? Like, that's kind of just our natural way. So I think it's amazing that, you know, you already kind of like created this container for him to be able to feel comfortable to like, you know, explain where he's paranoid and, and you in no way try to tell him, well, there's no way that that's true. I mean, it's such a skill that, you know, people for years when, when they're living with someone with, with serious mental illness, you know, try to achieve. So, you know, you right out of the gate, not even knowing that this was what was going on. I have to just applaud you for that. Yeah, I was like, oh, is this really happening? You know, I tried my best to just see where he's coming from. Right. And I will say, like, I did. But ultimately, you know, there were things that I was just like, like, I gave him a lot of space to kind of like talk about it. Right. But then ultimately, you know, I waited for like a right moment where, you know, I had like listened to enough. And I did tell him, well, like, you know, listen, if things were the case that you're saying, like, don't you think it would be X rather than Y? Right. Right. Kind of gently like approaching it. And he understood that. I don't know that it registered at the time. But again, in my head, though, when I was at that point, I was just like, he's just like been in a rough patch, you know? Sure. So I go to school. And then so now we're in like last fall. I go to school. I start school. And then like, you know, I'm just getting calls from my parents, like telling me that he's just more bizarre symptoms. Right. And I'm like trying to wrap my head around it. I'm just like, what? Like, what do you even right. say? And I'm still doing that thing where it's just like, how much of this is my parents just being like worried? Parents? Right. Cause you're not there all the time. So it's yeah. hard to parse it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel really guilty saying that because like, you know, I, I'm not saying that I like immediately jump to like doubt, like parents say something, but it's just like, right. if I'm hearing like things over the phone, right. If someone tells you that someone's being paranoid over the phone, I feel like my initial reaction would be to be like, well, what do you mean? Like, you know, blah, 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 blah. Then finally I go home when I get a break that I have a few days off. I go home and then I see like, yeah, like he's super closed off. Like that's the first thing, right? Like absolutely closed off. Nothing, he won't say anything to me. Very different from like even the summer. Cause in the summer he was still talking to me. That's kind of like when I realized like, okay, this I'm alarmed, you know? what do we do? I was also alarmed when I was getting the calls from my parents as well. I think when I left home over the summer, I was just like, okay, this is strange, but I think he's just had a rough patch and maybe needs to kind of like, and you know, obviously we were in a pandemic too. I don't know how that throws things into like flux, but that's also something to account for. I feel like, you know, and he was like by himself during that time, which can be tough on anyone. Right. Right. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, you just coming in as, as like a subjective, you know, third party who's not really, you know, in the house all the time, you've always been really supportive and you sound very analytical. And, you know, when you combine those two things together, that equals out to empathy, you know, which is what you had a boatload of for your brother. And, you know, I know we kind of started off the whole conversation, you know, talking about you finally getting to a point of knowing you're enough. And I wonder if, you know, the word guilt that you just threw out there at kind of the very beginning of this process, when in actuality, you were nothing but being, you know, that subjective third party who was, you know, full of empathy and love. I wonder if that's something that became almost like the overtone where you almost felt like, wow, once there's a diagnosis, I've got to just come in there full force. In that fall timeframe is when he initially like was sent to the hospital. The circumstances around that I still get like a different set of details from him, my par- like each of my parents, you know? Yeah, and, I'm sure. And, yeah. and I don't blame anyone for like 
not giving me the straight story because it's just like, I think it was a really like hectic moment, whatever happened, you know? I am always going to wish that I was there so that I could like fully form my like image of what happened and kind of like address things, but you know, I wasn't. So that's it. That's the hardest part for you right there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, So then he got the diagnosis sometime in the fall, but then I think I had like some doubts. I didn't, I didn't have doubts that there was something going on or that it was some kind of psychiatric condition, but I had some doubts as to like, okay, well, you know, he was in the hospital for like two weeks. Like how, can you diagnose him with like a lifelong like mental illness based on that? Right. Like, doesn't it require like a little bit more like getting to know somebody or like kind of understanding their history and whatnot? I'm not a doctor, but like the doctor there said so. So I was like, okay, well I'll go with that for now. And then it's like you said, like, I think once there was a diagnosis, it was almost like, okay, let's figure out how to tackle this. Right. Right. So let's go back to when he did initially get diagnosed, what chain of events that led up to him finally getting, you know, kind of the the support that he needed in an actual hospital environment. Yeah. So, you know, at the beginning, it was like just the hospitalization, right? Like, I think something had happened at home where it was like, okay, we need to call the police, which for my parents, it's like, that's a high bar to yeah. like a high threshold for them to get to that point, you know? Right. It's, right. it's a scary thing to do to have to call like the authorities on your child. And I think when I heard that it was like, oh, something's like really wrong. You know, that's when I like switched gears entirely. Cause I was like, okay, you talk about the empathy I have for him. My parents have looked like a hundred times that for my brother. Right. Yeah. I had seen him in November around Thanksgiving when I had my break again. And that's when he was like super closed off. Right. Yeah. And then I went back like maybe a couple of weeks later and I had a conversation with him actually because of the pandemic, it was kind of nice. It worked in my favor because they allowed us to be remote for that last like December, like chunk leading up to Christmas. They were like, you could be entirely remote if you want. You know, I think it was partly because like, I think they just want to limit exposure in different ways. So um, I bet you're like, I'm just going to go home and stay there. So actually what I did was like, I asked my brother first, I was having a conversation with him he's closed off. And then I go back and now he's like, you know, I get him to a point where like, I can talk to him a little bit, you know, yeah. it's, it's always been a little bit of a game, like trying to gauge. Right. I asked him, I was like, do you want me to come home? Like they're giving me this option. And then he was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I'll do it for sure. I no love problem. that you asked him. It's amazing. But, yeah. Because I don't think this is unique to like this situation, but I feel like sometimes as an older sibling of like, I want to say immigrant parents, but I wouldn't be surprised if it extends, but I feel like you get, you had to figure out how much of a third parent you're going to be and how much of a sibling you're going to be. Right. And I feel like that's something I've always been bad about until like, I would say my brother entered college. I think then as I was kind of doing my own things, I like looked back and I was like, Oh, you know, maybe I was kind of being a third parent. So I tried to give him agency. So yeah, that's why I, I asked him, I was like, listen, something's like going on clearly. You want me to like be at home? Like I can kind of hang out and like talk, you know, and I also kind of used a little bit of a bargaining chip. I was like, you know, I can get mom and dad to like ease up a little bit in certain things, like whatever, you know, I was trying to play like both sides, obviously. Right, just trying to right. <laughs> Which is really hard to do. You know, yeah. at this point, he does have a specific diagnosis. Yes. And can you share with us what that is? Yeah. So he, it was initially diagnosed with bipolar. That was like the big one amongst that was like substance use, just like a slew of things that I don't even remember. And that's what also led to my little bit of like disbelief at the beginning. I was just like, okay, I want to understand what led to this, right? Like right. what? Right. How did you make that decision? Like, how did that all happen? You know, like you yeah. want to actually hear the doctor tell you the why. You know? Yeah. You know, and I think that's just the type of person I am. I don't know that this is like useful for myself or anyone really, but I just, that's what came in my head. So that was the diagnosis at that time. Certain things lined up, certain things didn't, but you know, what do I know? I'm just kind of like here <laughs> trying to figure right. it out. And, and then like, there you are, you're, you're on your own in school and you're hearing about, you know, all these labels and yeah. you know, names and wondering whether or not it could all be true. But what's your initial reaction there? What, what happens? How do you feel? Honestly, I felt like a little bit more relief than anything because there were so many things that were kind of just question marks leading up to that. Right, right. And for sure, it was like kind of devastating. But up until very recently, I was constantly like, okay, what next type of thing? Right. Like, I don't even know that I gave myself like the, the moment to be like, oh, this is hard. Like, I just kind of was like, okay, diagnosis. Okay. Well, what now? Like, okay, what, what professionals does he need to see? What, and you know, I think my parents also like were the same way, like as much as I'm talking about myself right now, I think my parents are doing the same thing, right? We're kind of trying our best to act as a unit. You went from, there was kind of a shutdown where he knew that you knew about the diagnosis and how was that for you when he was kind of shutting you out there? I don't know why he was showing me out or like what was going on. Like he just, he just wasn't talking. Like, you know, he'd go to his room. I was at home for maybe like two or three days 
and he didn't like leave his room to what I remember, you know, I think maybe he like, after I had gone to bed, he had maybe gone to like, you know, get food or like my mom would give him food and no conversation. I, I didn't want to be pushy either, uh, yeah. you know, because I imagine that he was dealing with a lot at the time. I'm fighting urges here to like try to get him to do something good, but also try not to be pushy and acknowledge his agency. Like I don't, and I don't know where that like. Where the line is there. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just trying to like in the moment, figure it out. So yeah. yeah, like that was my first time back. And I, I imagine that it was a lot, but I guess I, I figure looking back, like it was probably good that I just showed up and then it was fine. He didn't talk to me. Nothing happened. I was still just kind of confused, but I was like, okay, I'll come back. Like I'll figure like, right. you know, it might've been a lot if I just showed up and then just started like, you know, pressing him about questions. Like it had been months, right? And so. Again, you're, you're already very highly skilled. I mean, <laughs> so many people, you know, siblings or not would really press, you know, their, their yeah. siblings. So, you know, I have to commend you, you know, for giving them the space. And I can only just imagine, you know, what was going on in his head at the time with you coming home and, you know, him just wanting to show up as a different person, but couldn't in front of you and and i have to imagine that that's where the shutdown happened and yeah you know like clearly he was going through a lot like i was i just i just wanted to help but i wasn't sure how right yeah oh it's amazing and then you got to the point where you started speaking again and you know you you could ask him do you want me to come you know so i love that you know you were able to get to that point with him and kind of empower him to make that decision instead of just saying i'm coming and you know and you and i are going to talk you know and 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 he was open to that and and felt better you know and, and was ready for you to come so walk me through that time with him there yeah, that was really good. I was really happy about that because so much has happened and a lot of this stuff is just kind of a blur. The sequence of events I'm talking to you about like happens in the span of like a few months, right? Yeah, yeah. It was just such like an emotionally like heightened thing. Yes. It's really tough. I went from how I saw or experienced everything. It was like, okay, I'm hearing about these like bizarre symptoms over the phone, like kind of concerned. Okay, all of a sudden, like my parents tell me that he's in the hospital and they had to call the police. Then I come home and he's like totally shut off. You know, he doesn't respond to my texts. He he still doesn't, but that's fine. Yeah. And then like I come home and I see that and I'm like, okay, you know, now I'm like kind of like, okay, something's going on. What do we do? Like type of thing. I ease my way into like talking to him. You know, I don't know if I did this, but like things like you know, just being like, oh, do you want some soda or like something. It's just kind of like easing yeah. my way. Not exactly around that topic, just around, you know, anything but that topic. And and that's exactly what I think is where you're, again, already highly skilled because so many folks wouldn't think to do it that way. And, and you see it's effective. I mean, he clearly doesn't want to talk, right. but I don't necessarily like need him to talk, but I want to know what's happening. So like, right. what do you do, right? So I was just like, okay, let me just like ease up on him and kind of see. And then, yeah, eventually I did kind of get him to talk a little bit. And that's when I pushed, right? I pushed a little bit. I was like, so what's been going on? Like, can I ask you about this? And then he was like, you know, then he gave me a set of events, like of what happened, like leading up to the first hospital visit and like whatever else was on his mind. He was super open about it at that time. It was like, okay, I got a moment of clarity here. Like from him, I asked him like, can I ask about this thing? Can I ask about that thing? And then I brought up the question of me coming home, but it was difficult for me because I feel like his attitude was kind of coming from the place of blaming my parents a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of difficult for me because I'm already trying to figure out, oh, are my parents just being like kind of worried and whatnot? It's so easy to just blame anyone you can for anyone involved in this situation, right? My brother can blame who he wants. My parents can blame who they want. I can blame who I want, but like, I can't help but feel like all of it's super misplaced, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's just it. You know, everyone has lots of different emotions. Like you said before, it's such a roller coaster. Well, where do we put the emotions? They've got to go somewhere. And the easiest thing to do is to, you know, point a finger. Yeah. It's so hard because it's like you bottle up and then you just kind of like blame and then it's like, ah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's ineffective. Yeah. Thankfully, like, it's not just like my brother who might be like point of blame. It's also like myself, my parents, right? Thankfully, I think throughout all of this and before, like my parents and I have worked to a place where like, yes, we'll get like really mad at each other for like the dumbest reasons. But we also acknowledge that we're all going through a really rough time and like, we'll come together the next day and be like, okay, sorry, like, let's just kind of recess. I think that's been really nice for me to see us be able to do that. But, you know, still, we want my brother to be better. That's all. That's, that's really all we want. Right. right. It's amazing that you guys, you know, can notice that, you know, hey, we're all kind of suffering a bit here. Let's give ourselves some permission to be human and come back together as a family unit. And I think that this is where, you know, we're, we're starting to see how your brother has turned a corner a bit, you know, not, yeah. not 100%, but... I know that it was difficult for him to open up to you and and then he finally did. And then, you know, even more difficult 
you know, for, for him to actually admit, you know, there's a need for medication. There's a need for me to, you know, have a, you know, more serious plan day to day about my life and, you know, potentially make a schedule around it. With you kind of not always physically being able to be there, walk me through where you were as far as, you know, being able to try and find your own support on, on your on your own, really how that support came to you and in what form as you're trying to still show up and be as supportive as possible for your brother during this time. Yeah. And this is something I think I was really excited to talk about because like I had opened up to like my friends and some of the folks at the school and everyone was really supportive. But I feel like I was still just feeling kind of like isolated. It's weird. It's like you're opening up the people that you know, love and care about you. Sure. But you're not feeling like it's like registering, right? Like their care. Um, they don't they and, get it. They want to get it, but they don't get it. Yeah. One of the like older folks I opened up to, you know, he mentioned this thing between like empathy and understanding, you know, it's like that kind of like registered with me. And I was like, okay, this makes sense. And again, it's so easy to blame, right? It's just, it would have been so easy for me to be like, oh my God, I'm so frustrated. It's like everyone, blah, blah, blah. And I think I was kind of doing that for a while, but it wasn't until I found like some of the resources, like actually my mom asked, okay, uh, Alana mentioned like, do you want to do uh, this podcast? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, can I hear the other ones? And like, I listened to them and then I looked up more resources, like specifically like around siblings, found like a few, not too many, but yeah. I think that was when I like felt the best. So that was only like a few weeks ago, maybe one thing. Yeah. I would say before that though, Yeah. whenever someone mentioned like, how are you taking care of yourself? Like, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just kind of like trying to just hang out with my friends or like kind of or whatever, you know, the classic things anyone would do for like self-care and whatnot. Right. But I think I needed to make more of a mental shift. And I know I mentioned this when we talked last time, before I ran into these resources, I was like, always, oh, what next? What do I do? What can I do? Right. Always um, the what next thinking. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, There's a combination of like, A, I think my parents and I had put in a lot of work and my brother had put in a lot of work to like get him to a good-ish place. Yeah. You know? Now he's still a little close off, but he's not like, you know, I'll go home and I can have a conversation with him about stuff, you know? You can chart progress and, and we and, know it's always up and down, but you can see a bit of steady progress. It's hard to remind myself of that, but yeah, like very yeah. true, right? We had done like we and him, we had all done a lot to get him to a good-ish place. I also felt like maybe I was a little spent. Like, I don't know that there was much more that I could give without like really just kind of collapsing myself, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And I think I worry about this from my parents. I don't know how much more give they can give. So there's kind of that aspect of it. And then I think I was in a good place to receive these resources and like some of these, like just listening to the other podcasts and then also reading some of these articles. It just validated a lot of the things I was seeing. Like baseline, like validation was what I think I needed. It wasn't like anyone was like actively invalidating me though, you know? Right. See, I had gone through the same thing where I never even, you know, thought that there was another person out there that was a sibling with a loved one with mental illness. There are those people out there, but, you know, until you start to hear other people's stories and start to have your emotions validated and the process that you're going through validated and the what next thinking validated, you do feel very uniquely isolated. You know, I have so many people in my life from my past and, you know, friends from college and, and, you know, as much as they want to be there for me, they just haven't lived it. It's hard to not become disappointed around that when you know they're doing their best. Yeah, absolutely. I think disappointed is a great word. Like, yeah, it's like, who do you blame? You you shouldn't blame anyone, but you're going to feel like you want to blame somebody. right? Right, right. So now we kind of, you know, come to looking at where you're seeing a bit of a shift of your your own perspective, because rather than looking at how far your brother is going to go, I feel like you're starting to live in a place of, you know, accepting where he is today, knowing that where you are today is also acceptable, you know, and, and knowing that you are enough. So can you talk a little bit more how you got to that place and how that shifted the way that you're kind of showing up for yourself on a daily basis. Yeah. I will say like, before I answer that, like, I feel like I'm never going to be able, and this is kind of where that mantra comes in, or maybe that's where I'm at now, but I can't shake, like just thinking to myself, like, okay, what more can you do? Right. (laughs) Right. Is there something I'm not doing right now that I could be doing that I just don't know about, right? right? Right. To help them like kind of get to a place, you know, obviously the biggest things uh, loved ones can do for their loved one suffering from mental illness is like just kind of get them to resources right that's kind of baseline what 
you can do. I keep thinking to myself like, oh, what if I'm just like kind of there for him as a friend? Like, what if I just kind of hang out with him? I can just kind of like, but then at some point it's like, okay, does he, he doesn't need like a babysitter though, right? Like what? I don't know that I'll ever be able to shake that thought. But at the same time, I think, like I said, coming to terms with the fact that we've done a lot and seeing the progress he's made, I think he's at a point now where he needs to make some more decisions himself to like think about, you know, what's going on and improve. So there's that going on. And then, yeah, like for myself, right? I'm at a place also where I'm like, okay, if I give any more, I, I might break, right? But I also feel like maybe it's the point where if I'm not taking care of myself, like in certain ways, it, I'm not going to be useful either, right? To anybody. And so, you know, of course, like if something terrible happens, like I, I want to be there, but if I'm already in a state of just like disarray, like it's not going to help out. And it was actually in like the other podcast too. I, I think it was one of the other podcasts where it was like, you know, when they're in a sense of like, instability like you kind of want to be there and stable to kind of like show them or i might have like talked about it with you but there's kind of that theme to it and then also this other theme of like okay moving forward i think i definitely have been a little bit of like a third parent at times but this was mentioned the other podcast too but it was like oh you know reaching out to him i know i'm not gonna get a response and maybe it's not worthwhile to reach out to him and be like so what's going on with your doctor's appointment what's going on with this blah 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 i'm like working to a place where i feel like good okay i'll just reach out to him and be like hey what's going on like what's right. up right it's, Hearing that also the other podcast is like really good for me too. Cause I was like, it was the first time where I thought, okay, here's another approach that I think will be like useful. You know, like I've been doing this other thing for so long, this like what next and for sure it's made some progress, but at the same time, like, I don't think it's sustainable. Right. Exactly. I love that you noticed it because when we, you know, are constantly thinking about what next or what should I have done, you know, here we are thinking about the future or we're thinking about the past, you know, and of course, you know, I'm going to say we're missing out on the only part of life that we ever experience, which is the presence, right? Just the rumination of the future or the past on an ongoing basis, you know, is what really contributes to our exhaustion, you know, both mentally and, and then because of that physically, you know, so are you now finding that there is is present moment living where you can lean into joy? And if so, do you feel like you brought that home when you visited last week? Baseline answer. Yes. Like I think recently I've been able to hang out with my friends and like, you know, I've, I've opened up to them more and just kind of let them know where I'm at. Sure. And I didn't feel like as isolated anymore. It, it wasn't anything in them that changed. It was like me. Right. So. Right. I was just going to say, it's funny because it's not like they got a whole education, you know, yeah. it was actually the shift that was within you. And, and, and so it's, it's amazing that you noticed that. Yeah. And, and I was just able to like, kind of enjoy the hangout more. Whereas before you'd, I'd be like, I really had to kind of push myself to be like, okay, I guess I'm going to go and like hang out. It was one of those things where I was like, okay, I should do something for myself. I should, but I'd go out and then I'd kind of like hang out and just be kind of like not present mentally. Yeah. Cause you're like ticking a box. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had mentioned this in the last phone call with you as well, but it was like, you know, giving myself permission to feel okay doing these things. And, you know, that permission comes from feeling okay about where things are, understanding that I need to be in a good place. You know, I feel like I have a good mental shift change. I am a little like anxious, maybe a strong word, but I do worry a little bit about if there were something new that were to happen, right? Like a new symptom or a new development or just something new. I worry about if I'll like fall back into kind of like a frenzied state, figuring out what next, what next. And I won't, I don't know what the right answer is going to be at that time, right? <laughs> Until I get there. But at the very least, like for now, I feel this way. And then I went back home when I, I, I did feel like I, like me being a little calmer about everything right. and just kind of like hanging out, I think right. translated well. And I think it gave a good energy. And that's the thing, because when you start living in, you know, this kind of energetic shift, you know, you can feel it in your body, you probably feel lighter, you know, and it's probably easier to notice when tightness happens, or maybe, you know, you can't get a good breath in, or, you know, maybe yeah. you can feel pain in your chest, you know, you, you start to really develop a, a keen sense of, of awareness. So, you know, when you start to say, well, what if this would happen in the future? Would I be able to handle it? Or would I actually go back to the way that I once was, you know, yeah. the sense of kind of grace that you're already starting to live in, I already know would carry through, right? Because you're shifting your way of being, right? The thing that would prevent you from shifting your way of being is worrying about whether or not you'd carry that level of new way of being into the future. Yeah, you know. If we look at it from that perspective, right, you can then start to come up with a new mantra, 
so often we as humans go right to fear and judgment and, and the what ifing. you know, potentially a new mantra for you could be, you know, I trust myself. Yeah. Relax, seize, just let things happen, see how it goes. You know, I, I'm not there yet, but I, I'm hoping to be, because I feel like that is kind of a sustainable, you know, approach. Yeah. In my head right now, if I'm being honest with you, I'm still just kind of like, okay, if something happens, like, I'm going to ask myself, what do I do? Right. Like, right. I'm, I'm going to be like, okay, well, what can I shift around in my life to accommodate or try to help out in what way I can. Right. I think it's good because I feel like I'm thinking about the future a little bit in a non, in a non like anxious way, but just in kind of a more understanding way, I guess. Right. Right. And it's a normal thing, you know, because of all that you've gone through, you know, to want to already have planned out the future. Like what would I do if yeah. this happened? And what would I do if this happened? Right. What happens is, you know, we tend to dress rehearse tragedy because yeah. we want to be as like prepared as possible for like any of the things that could happen. But the thing is, we can never truly be prepared for any of the things that could happen because we don't actually know what would happen. Yeah. You know, we, we don't actually know what, so what, what's interesting is when, when we're doing this kind of thing, it takes us away from the present moment. Right. And it keeps us, you know, kind of in a little bit of that, you know, fearful, you know, future planning state, which is what leads to anxiety. Yeah. So when we lean more into the present moment and we lean more into, you know, how, you know, we can feel joy, love and connection there, right. That actually builds up our store of resilience so that yeah. when that thing in the future does happen, if it happens, you're going to be so much stronger and so much more well-prepared because there it is your new way of being brought into that future. Should it happen? It's interesting if, you know, you can start to allow yourself to live in that place of trust, which only ever lives within the present moment. Yeah. You know, I sense this kind of happening to myself now, you know, like before, those thoughts of like, what next, what do I do? What do I do if this happens? They were kind of like intrusive is one word I found, like while I was kind of reading up one thing. Now it's like, I can have those thoughts, but I can also like be in the present mode. Like I can be with my friends. I could be like studying and I won't have these thoughts kind of like intruding, which I think is kind of part of the process that you're talking about. Yes. Yes. Because there you are. You, you're the watcher of your thoughts now. Do you feel like you can start to notice with your body if you're having a thought, you know, that is too long in the future, you know, that, yeah. that you're spending too much time in that place. Right. And you won't be able to think of everything, right? Because, yeah, it's just exactly as you said. <laughs> so tell me what you do when that does happen. Before, I didn't even realize, like, I think that was just my constant state. It was just like, okay, this is on my mind. Right. And I'm trying to do, like, my day-to-day -day activities with this on my mind, right? Recently, I think, again, because I feel kind of good about where I'm at, where my brother's at, where my family's at, I've been able to like give myself that permission to live in the moment and just kind of like be okay. And these are do that. But when it does happen, like, I think I repeat this mantra. I, I just say like, you know, I'm enough, I've done enough. Like there's only so much you can do. Right, right. And I want to be feeling my full, like good self when things like really need my assistance there. Right. Like even when I went back home recently, I just felt like a fuller person when I was there too. You know, I had this thought in my head. I was like, okay, if something happens and I can be this person and not like the frenzied, like kind of mess I was like in the spring, that person is going to be much more helpful than right. the frenzied person, right? For everyone, not just my brother, but also just like my parents and whatnot. And also like myself, right? That is such a beautiful way to come back home, you know, and that you could get there instead of, you know, showing up with, you know, how can I help and what's wrong and, you know, what did or didn't happen. You know, because when that happens, you know, then your brother has to become the person who has something wrong with them and yeah. prove or disprove things, you know, yeah, yeah. you just showing up as a whole person allows him to know that he already, you know, is a whole person too, you know, and right. that there isn't anything wrong and, and together you all can lean into what is actually right, which feels a lot like, you know, here you are being able to establish kind of clear and, and healthy boundaries, because I think, you know, and this was kind of more on the prep call, you know, we talked about you talking to your mom, I don't know, maybe it was like daily at some point, you know, yeah. and they were overwhelming conversations. So how has that shifted? It wasn't a daily, thankfully. I feel like I could have gotten to that point, but I do think that maybe in times of crisis, there might've been like, you know, a week where I was calling daily or something like that, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it was tough for me not to want to be there. Like, I absolutely want to be there. Like, if there's anything I could do, I want to do it, right? Like, that's, that's, just, that's just how, like, I felt. It was kind of like, okay, what is the minimum I can do elsewhere in my life so that I could be present here to the most in my ability, right? 
I think my parents were ahead of me on this, I feel like, right? Because everything we're talking about, kind of like being okay with like, you know, how things are and living in the present moment and not like getting consumed. Like, I think my parents were there already and I was like catching up. So I think right now I'm in a place where like, I feel like I put more of a hardline boundary where I'm like, okay, I need to kind of like, I'm going to take these like few weeks before the semester starts to really just kind of like get all my like personal ducks in a row, like, or whatnot. Um, and I told my mom, she's like, yeah, no, I understand. And then I think what I want to work towards is, you know, having this scheduled time where I like can talk to my parents and just, I don't necessarily want the call to be like, what's wrong, but at the same time, like it's going to come up like, okay, how is he doing? Right? Of course. And I think my goal is to get to a place where like, I can just kind of be, you know, the same roles I have always been, which is just like son and like family member, but at the same time, kind of like understand where my brother's at. So I want to make like that change kind of in a scheduled way. And then I also want to like do the same, like with my brother, like just me and him, like I want to just message him and be like, Hey, what's going on? Like, you know, here's like, I don't know. I the, the person in the other story was sending like cat memes, I think. So that was that, awesome. Just like, that was all, yeah. There's, <laughs> I don't know if you have those or if he wants to see them, but yeah, no, I think maybe one thing my brother and I can connect on is like, I mean, we both like program, we both like, we have similar interests, like video games, music, whatever. So like, yeah. I, I definitely, there's like things I need to be creative with, but it'll be like tough, but I think it'll be good for me to like engage with him, not as the person like, oh, there's something wrong with you, but just as like, hey, it's my brother. Like, exactly. Exactly. And I think it helps me too to think this way because it's like, I mean, he's still him. He's still him. He's still got like everything he's interested in and passionate about. He's just like dealing with this. And there's so many folks that I feel like live with mental illness that, you know, have a good routine, have a good regimen, have good senses of support. I want him to get there. And I feel like I just want to be like a good brother and like friend to him right now. Right. Rather than just kind of like pushing him in that direction. Right. It's so important what you just said, because so many people forget that, you know, underneath, you know, all the heavy emotion and the thought patterns and the confusion or paranoia that, you know, your original brother from when you were a child is still there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and he'll always be there, you know, and it's, it's nice because I think when I was back home, most recently, I, I feel like I saw a little bit of that. You know, he was yeah. he's a very charismatic guy, like, yes. he, and he's been, and and I saw a little bit of that come out again. You know, and he's like very funny, like wisecracks, like all this type of stuff, right? Like, I think because I was in such a what next, what next mind state this whole year, like I never registered. Like, yeah, we're all going through this, and like, in seeing him be like his like kind of charismatic, like carefree self a little bit, I felt good. I was like, okay, I see him like getting back to how I always knew him to be. And there you are, you know, that's communicating love energetically and like focusing on his truth, you know, his original self, you can see it and you can feel it, you know, and when you're what nexting or or what ifing or wondering about what you could have done in the past, you know, it's impossible to find his truth and, and connect that way. That's, I think, you know, the best way, I think, to lead whenever you're trying to communicate, but it, it does get so challenging when there are issues. And I totally get that. So that you saw that little spark of his original self and remembered it. I think that's just the beginning of being able to spiral up together. And then yeah. we come to, I guess, you know, like the personal empowerment piece of this, you know, what does that mean for you? You know, what comes to mind when you hear those words of living with personal empowerment? Yeah. In like my what if, what next thinking, I was always trying to be like helpful. I think now what I'm thinking is like the way I can be most helpful is just to kind of be the things I've always been and kind of make sure that I'm okay and stable and in the things I care about, right? Like, so school is an easy example. Like I, I feel like I wasn't putting enough time before and I, it was really making me feel bad about myself, right? Right, um, right. Now I'm like, no, I care about school. I care about like what I'm doing. Yes. And I, when I have it kind of, that duck in a row I feel like I said a fuller person when I'm back at home and that's that's kind of what like the personal empowerment is like okay I need to make sure I'm okay and stable and doing the things I care about because I know I care about my brother and I know that I'm like the best way to be there for him and my family is to be like my full person too you know if I heard me say this to myself like maybe like earlier in this year I wouldn't it wouldn't have registered like I right, think I'm thinking, right. like, talking about like stop like what do I need to do now tell me uh, it's a big thing that I think about just like I I'm not sure like I had to get to a place where I was like this is how I want to be this is like what's good right now for everybody 
because yeah. you kind of got sick of being the other way because you noticed that it doesn't work. I think it's amazing that, you know, through this journey, which has been a relatively short one, you know, time-wise, but a very, very long one, you know, kind of emotional-wise, you yeah. know, allowing yourself to know that, you know, whenever you have the feeling of, did I do enough or, or the guilt comes up, you know, at, at any time, you know, yeah. which you probably will for a while until you, you know, just enough tell yourself, I did my best, you know, yeah. I, I did my best. And then it's fascinating to see that, you know, the, the brain stops bringing up these things because the brain says, oh, do you not care? Do you think that you're enough? Okay, so we're going to stop. We're going to stop entertaining okay. this. And the brain then actually rewires itself, you know, to make it easier for you to remember instead that you were enough. This, I think, can be the thing then, you know, that you can holistically take into your future and, and remember that you still would always be enough. It's been so helpful just to kind of like say that, repeat that at times. The interesting thought. Yeah, it's only been a few weeks, but I feel like that was a that was kind of what I needed. <laughs> right, right. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm yeah. so so glad. Any final thoughts before we we wrap up? Yeah, you know, I I just want to say like if if anyone's like listening to this and they were kind of looking for resources, like continue to look for resources for yourself because the thing is like everyone was telling me like oh are you taking care of yourself and I was like yeah I'm hanging out with my friends I'm watching tv but it wasn't until I started like educating myself and like kind of reading like blog posts and anecdotes whatever that I like started to feel a little better there are things that I like took notes when I listened to these other two podcasts I like look back at them because they made me feel better so I really hope that you know anybody's listening to this is like kind of looking for their own resources to help them so that's what you need to do to feel better I feel like for me I had to do that so you are an incredible inspiration, I have to say, because, you know, even just that you have stepped in to the degree that you have stepped in and have that level of care and that level of love and that level of support that you give your family, but noticed, you know, when it was too overbearing for you, you know, and to shift your way of being and bounce back even stronger and better than before and already be able to, to offer hope and also just kind of a new way forward for anyone that would listen to this that feels lost. Know that you're walking a very difficult road, but you've already come so very far in such a short time and, and that, you know, when these things happen, you get the kind of news that you would never expect about a sibling and you think that there's no hope when in actuality, the opposite is true. Yeah. You know, you see now that this is the chance for you to replicate the resilience that your parents have taught you and to do it in a way where together you all grow. So thank you. And thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate doing this and I hope it helps someone else out too. because It was really helpful for me, like I said. Oh, I'm so glad. Good, good. And yes, you will definitely hope a lot of people. Definitely. <laughs>